This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. As I've already mentioned today, the message is very complex. And I, I get the fact that you only get portions of this. Uh, and especially when we go through a prophecy series that uh, because it's already a complex subject, you're able to leave here with a, a with a piece of the word, and not you. I get it that you're not going to get all of this, uh, but I hope and pray that uh, you will at least be able to hear uh, and receive these things as they take place and unfold in future events. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Revelation chapter seven. We want you to. Uh, Enjoy the message today as we talk about this unique subject, the 144,000. You've heard something about that in the Word, I'm sure, from time to time. We're going to explain it to you today. In Revelation chapter 7, I want to read for you verses 1 through 9. And we're, once I read this, we will come back to it. It's the cornerstone of our text. And the Word of God says, and John the Revelator is writing. He's on the island of Patmos. The year was A.D. 96. And by the way, he was put there because of his preaching, the Word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the scripture says, after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Now, let me, let me mention this, that we are studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. And so we are already in chapter six. We haven't got yet to chapter seven. I mentioned Wednesday night, this past study, that some of what I'm going to share with you today is going to overlap some of the things that we've already talked about and yet have not got into We'll get into it in a deeper way in the Bible study, but in the message, we have to move quickly. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on the tree. That's amazing. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given. Look at this now carefully. To hurt the earth and the sea. Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees. Now this is very interesting. I want you to look at it very carefully. Till or until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now I'm going to come back to that in a minute and explain something to you. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand, all of the tribes of the children of Israel. If you are accustomed to writing in your Bible, I would like for you to underline these particular words, tribes of the children of Israel. Please look at that, underline that. This is 
very important. Now, verses 5 through 9 or through 8, it gives us the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Judah. And then in verse 9, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. There's something interesting that I want to bring out, and usually, typically, I would bring this out in a Wednesday night Bible study, but I think that uh, it's imperative that I bring it out to you this morning. I want you to look at verse number 3, Revelation 7, 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees. Look at this. Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Everything that God does in these latter times, in the tribulation, the devil will emulate it. The devil will try to mimic in false deception the things that God will do. We know that the Antichrist in the tribulation is going to give a mark of identification for human society. And the Bible says that that mark will be 666, and the scripture says that no man will be able to buy, sell, or trade without it. It's a mark, not only a number, a numerical mark of identification, but the Bible is clear. The Bible says that the Antichrist will require this mark to be placed in the forehead or in the right hand. Now, when you read this passage of scripture, this is not talking about the Antichrist here. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. There are going to be people saved in the tribulation. I preached a message the week before last. Will there be a second chance to be saved after the rapture? And I will emphasize that if you have ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel, and for whatever reason you had procrastinated, you had said no, no, it's too complicated, it's too deep. No, not today. And the Spirit of God kept uh, prompting you to receive the Lord and you constantly said, no, 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 not now. When I get older, when I understand it better, after I've sowed my wild oats, maybe when I get on my deathbed and you have all of these things going around about what your plans are in relationship to God and eternity with your soul, you will never have a second chance to be saved in the tribulation after the rapture, if that describes you. Amen. What I'm reading now does not describe or pertain to somebody that has heard a clear presentation of the gospel. So you have to keep that in mind. Having said that, Anyone that had not heard a clear presentation of the gospel on this earth prior to the rapture by the testimony and the witness of these 144,000, millions upon millions will be saved. Let me clarify something for you. Again, going back to verse number three, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. We are living in the day of grace right now. There was what was called the dispensation of the law. 
And in the closing aspects of the Old Testament coming to the day of the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross and the veil in the temple was rent in twain, it was then and there that we became under grace. We were living in the day of grace. And that's where we are now. We are living in the day of grace, not under the law. In this day of grace, when somebody comes to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit seals us in our hearts. We are sealed forever in our heart in this day of grace. But there's something interesting because these people who had never heard a clear presentation, by the way, Jews, I will show that to you in just a moment, who are saved in the tribulation, you have to remember that the day of grace is over. We have gone from the dispensation of the law. We have gone from the dispensation of grace. After the rapture takes place, there is another dispensation altogether. And people, Jewish priests, who are saved in the tribulation, who had never heard a clear presentation of the gospel, they are saved. And God, listen now, seals them, not in their heart, but he puts up a mark upon them. He seals them in their forehead. Now, I don't have all the answers that you may be asking questions about today. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says, and it's clear as day. Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. God has always worked with a mark of something of identification. If you recall... And you can go back. We don't have time this morning to read the verses and give the accounts. But in the book of Genesis, when God was dealing with Cain because of his rejection of the, the sacrifice that God was looking for, Cain was punished in a variety of ways. God not only drove him out of the garden, which broke his heart. In fact, Cain said, God, this punishment is more than I can bear. God drove him out of the garden. And he said this because Cain was a farmer. He grew vegetables. He brought that offering to the Lord. It was that offering that God rejected. He said this to Cain. He said, anytime you want to plant a garden or anything you try to do that would bring vegetables and fruits from the soil, he said, I'm cursing it. You, Cain, will never ever be able to bring uh, vegetables and, and things that grow from the ground ever again. You are now cursed. But then God did something unusual. The Bible says he put a mark on Cain. God knew that there would be people that would try to kill him and harass him, and God put a mark on him. And God said that if anybody would come against him, now I know how the story ended, and you do too, most of you, but while Cain was busy building the cities of Enoch and a variety of other cities because he could no longer grow anything from the ground that God had cursed, God put a mark on him. My point being is this, and it goes all the way back to Genesis. God has always worked with marks of identification. Now listen to this. The Antichrist will try to mimic, emulate everything 
the Lord Jesus does or everything that God does. We talked about Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, how that Jesus, according to the revelation, is going to come back riding a white horse. In Revelation chapter 6, we're going to see how the Antichrist comes on the scene immediately after the rapture. The word says on a white horse, which typifies the symbol of peace. He is doing everything he can to emulate what the Lord Jesus does. That's why he's called the Antichrist. Now, here's the thing. The Antichrist is going to require a mark, which is the mark of the beast, to be placed in the forehead of people, society, and or in their right hand. Now, you have to understand, I'm going to speak slow, and I know it's complicated, and I pray God the Holy Spirit will help you this morning. But here's the thing. When the rapture takes place, the Antichrist comes in on a white horse. We'll see it in just a minute. In the last three and a half years of the tribulation, he is going to issue this mark where people are going to have to be identified. But there will be a period of time in that portion of time where people who have never heard the gospel will be saved. Number one on your bulletin, we're going to call this the day of the horseman. And I'm going to ask them to get up on the screen for you, Revelation chapter 6. And I'm going to read for you in just a moment, verses 1 through 8. But Revelation chapter 6 is called, I believe, for study and for sermon prep and delivery and for you to get and understand. It's called the day of the four horsemen. Because it's here that the Antichrist will, will first appear on a white horse, typifying, representing peace. And as he rides across the world, bringing this counterfeit peace, soon, after the first three and a half years, it's going to dramatically change. He is going to bring in chaos, especially with Israel. He's going to make war with them. And he is going to set himself up on center stage with the world as if he was God. And then there's going to be nothing but pestilence, economic collapse, and which he will ultimately uh, lead the world to death and hell. It doesn't start off like that, but it certainly will end like that. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. This is the Antichrist, not the Christ. And he that sat on him had a bow. We talked about this Wednesday night. He had no arrows. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. He first comes in as a peacemaker, but then soon he takes peace from the earth and they that should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see and behold, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou not hurt the oil and the wine. 
This is talking about the witnesses here. But there's going to be such an unbelievable economic collapse in the world. And we see things generating towards that end now. But things will be absolutely almost impossible to purchase. Think about it this way. Think about paying a fortune for a loaf of bread. You, you see things astronomical now. You, this is going to be unbelievable. Verse number seven. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth beast say, come and see and look and behold a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Now, all of this, as a result of all of this, catastrophic happenings in the tribulation, the Bible says that there's going to be amongst all of these perils, the Bible says that there's going to be a great earthquake. And we know that earthquakes are everywhere now, but in the last days, they are going to intensify. Let me share with you what Jesus said concerning these last days. And I don't know, fellas, that you have this verse, but let's make it happen. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 7, this is what Jesus said about earthquakes pertaining to the last days. He said, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and divers places. Now look with me in Revelation 6, verse 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains." And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for that or for the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand. There's going to be uncomprehendable fury and wrath, not only from what the Antichrist brings upon the earth, but in the judgments of God himself. This particular earthquake in this scene of Revelation is catastrophic. It will be an earthquake like the world has never known nor experienced ever before. After the earthquake, unbelievable things begin to happen. John records it, number two in your bulletin. And this is what we call God holds back the winds. You need to stay with me now because this is where it gets complicated and it does so throughout the rest of the message. In Revelation 7, 1 through 4, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. 
saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till or until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand, all of the tribes of the children of Israel. Again, I emphasize to underline that. So there is sort of a pause between chapter 6 and chapter 7. When you come to chapter 7 here in Revelation, you would think that you would read that all of a sudden the seventh seal was opened. But instead of that, you read that the holy angels of God step in between chapter 6 and chapter 7, and the word says that they're holding back the winds from the four corners of the earth. You think about everything that's happening catastrophically. You think about all of the earthquakes that are happening all over the world. And now it just seems like when Jesus said to the Sea of Galilee, when the disciples were walking on the sea, when Jesus spoke the words, peace be still, and the sea just began to be calm. It's almost like God himself is speaking to this catastrophic event when all of this stuff is in hurricane, earthquake force. God all of a sudden speaks to the angels and says, hold the winds. And the Bible says immediately the angels begin to hold back the winds from this catastrophic happening from all the corners of the earth. So in all actuality, Here's what's happening. In the midst of this, between chapter 6 and 7, it seems as though there is an interruption to the judgment of God that's being outpoured on the earth. You have to keep this in mind. This is happening after the rapture. So anyone out there that believes we're in the tribulation now, listen, most of what I'm preaching in these four sermons should clear that perfectly up for you. What I'm describing to you now does not occur until after the rapture. The ones left on the earth who either rejected the gospel or those who had never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. That's hard to believe that there will be people on the earth who has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. But it's true, and the word says it. So all of this is happening in what the Bible describes to be as the tribulation period. Now, if we look carefully at chapter 7, we're going to find three sets of fours going on. John mentions them. He mentions four angels. He mentions four corners. And he mentions four winds, three sets of fours going on. So number three, we're calling this the ministry of angels. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter one, verse 13 and 14. And I know that's probably not in your bulletin. I added that scripture this morning. I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter one, verse 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then he said this, are they not all ministering spirits 
sent forth to minister for them, us, people who have never heard the gospel, who shall be heirs of salvation. So let me say this about angels, because angels are going to be working in the tribulation on behalf of those who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. When the rapture takes place, none of us are, without, are with an excuse. You either accepted the Lord or you rejected him. The rapture's taken place. The redeemed, the blood-bought believers are raptured out. We're meeting the Lord in the air. It begins the seven-year tribulation. And now in midst of all of this, false peace, treaties broken, famines and all kinds of pestilences, the Antichrist drives out the Jews from their temple. Now he's setting himself up as God. We have entered, the world has entered into a period called Jacob's trouble. It's the catastrophic half of the tribulation. All of these things are happening. Now angels are busy working on behalf of those who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They're carrying out God's special task here. It's the will of God being poured out on the earth. Now, in the Old Testament, angels did that. There were angels involved in fighting for the people of Israel all the time. Angels were used of God to bring judgment in various aspects. Angels were used in announcing the birth of Christ. And by the way, I believe that angels are still busy working today. There is a verse of scripture in Hebrews 13 too. It says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I believe that to be true. I believe that there are angels in the room. I believe there are angels working on behalf of God's will even now. But in the tribulation, angels are called on once again to bring about judgment. But before all of the judgment is poured out on the earth, God has one final act of mercy that he wants to make known to the earth. Now get this, the best that I can describe it. In the second half of the tribulation, the world has gone insane. The Antichrist has set himself up as God. He's making people take the mark in their forehead or in their hand. In the midst of this, between chapter 6 and 7, God is pouring out some wrath on this earth as a result of that, just like he did in Egypt with the ten plagues. As all of this is happening, and there are catastrophic winds and earthquakes happening, God steps in the midst of all of this, and he says to the angels, hey, I need you to do something quick. I'm getting ready to send my two witnesses to this earth. I want you angels to step out on the four corners of the earth, and I want you to stop the winds. He is saying basically to the winds, peace be still. I want everything calm. I'm getting ready to send my witnesses down. This is a very important time. So, number four this morning on your bulletin, I want us to look at God's fury and the four winds. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 1, because the four winds are the winds of judgment, by the way, look at this. After these things, I saw four angels standing on four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. It was, it was an unbelievable divine intervention 
a miraculous happening. Everything was still. You, you Listen, you, you couldn't hear anything. The wind had stopped blowing on the sea. You couldn't see a leaf blowing in the tree. Nothing. It was perfectly calm and peaceful. Now you have to remember, this is in the midst, in the middle of this horrendous earthquake. Everybody's in the rubble. It's now quiet. God has stepped out. He's assigned these angels to hold back the winds, and that's what he's doing. So here in chapter 7, we see these four angels holding back the four winds of God's judgment. It's for a reason. The winds cannot blow. They're holding them back. The winds cannot blow until God says so. The winds cannot blow until the angels release them. God has given these angels power for a very specific purpose. These angels are holding this back for a reason. Now the judgment of God is interrupted until the seal of the living God can be placed in the forehead of his servants. And this is what I want you to see in Revelation 7 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and sea. Look at this. Look at the mention now of a seal. I want to talk about that for a moment. And also look at the mention of hurting the earth and the sea. What does that mean? In Revelation 8, verse 7 and 8, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees were burnt up and all the grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire and cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And after all of that, I'm telling you, is going to be the judgment of God. Now look at number five on your outline this morning. And I want you to look at 2 Timothy 2.19 because I want to look just momentarily at this thing, the seal of God. What does that mean? Because I believe it's important to know that God does have a seal. A seal in the Bible had two or three different types of meanings. And I want you to get this. One kind of seal meant representation of ownership. Representation of ownership. Another kind of seal represented ancestry. And it was the identification of a certain family. And then there was the seal that represented the possession of something. So there were three different kinds, different types of seals, and all three had different meanings. The apostle Paul spoke about a certain seal and a sign between true believers and false believers. This is what I want you to see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So God will use his seal in the tribulation as a means of identification to the world in the tribulation time. Now, a seal also meant protection. 
in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So listen very carefully. There is a seal of God on every born-again Christian right now. If you know the Lord as your personal Savior, you have the seal of God on your heart. We've already talked about that. And that seal of God on your heart, it protects us. It constantly protects us from the clutches of the devil. Because that seal, the seal of God is on your heart, we never have to worry about the devil stealing us out of the family of God because we are protected by God because we have the seal of God on our hearts. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus said, My Father, which gave them to me, every believer, is greater than all. That means this, that there is no devil, there is no demon, there is no sin, there is no perversion, there is no act of man that can take us out of the palm, out of the hands of God, because we as believers have the seal of God on our hearts. We never have to worry about the devil taking us out. Now in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, the word says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Right now, as a believer, when you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and to be your personal Savior, he did. And when he did, he put his seal on your heart. No man can take you out of God's hand. No devil can do that. Jesus said the gates of hell would come against you, but they would not. They could not prevail. The very instant we are saved, God places a seal of protection upon us. The seal of being protected from anything. Because we have been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus and we have then, since that day, we gave our heart to God. Listen, God the Holy Spirit stamped our heart with God's seal and we became the personal property of God. And the best thing about it is this, the devil cannot break the seal. Now these sealed people of Revelation chapter 7 they are selected people. Keep in mind, this is not talking about the church. This is not talking about the blood bought before the rapture. Because when the rapture took place, every believer was evacuated. So this, what I'm telling you now, what we're talking about now, has nothing to do with the church. The church is in the air with the Lord Jesus. We're at the judgment seat. But number six, and we call this the 144,000. I want you to look at Revelation 7, verse number four. The 144,000. These are people that are going to be sealed in the tribulation. They are sealed after the preaching of the two witnesses. Revelation 7, 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. 
And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. I ask you to make a notation of that again. That's 12,000 from every tribe of Judah. These people, these sealed people will have a very important responsibility. I'm going to show you in a minute. Two witnesses come in the midst of all this. God says to the angels, hold back the wind. Stop everything. Stop this right now. Stop the judgment. I'm sending my two witnesses. I'm going to tell you who they are. I'm going to show you here in just a minute. These witnesses come. And their mission is for one purpose. And that is to preach the gospel, God's secondary mercy. They will come and preach the gospel to everybody on the earth, but it resonates with 144,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel. They become priests or preachers. They begin to preach. And as a result of their preaching, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, 144,000, all from the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, these 144,000, now they're preaching. And now, all of a sudden, they're going to be God's instruments for the last great awakening, the last great revival upon the earth. And as a result of this revival, from the two witnesses, 144,000 will be saved. Now, as a result of that, John said, millions were going to be saved. And let me show you this in Revelation chapter 7, verse number 9. So you get this story now. In the midst of the tribulation, after the first three and a half years, all hell breaks loose on the earth. The Antichrist turns from a peacemaker to a murderer. He has set himself up as a false messiah to be worshipped. The world is in other chaos. In all of that, God's bringing judgments on the earth. He gets to this part in Revelation 6 and 7. He says to the angel, stop it. I'm sending two witnesses to the earth for one last merciful task. One more chance for those who have never heard. And these two witnesses begin to preach. From their preaching, 144,000 priests will be saved but as a result of them becoming preachers and them getting out the message, multitudes of millions who have never heard are going to be saved. Preacher, I've never heard that before. We read it right now. And this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands as a result of two men preaching the gospel to people who have never heard, 144,000 priests get saved from the 12 tribes of Israel, 
From their preaching, multitudes of people that no man can count will be saved. Now, something interesting about this 144,000, you'd be surprised of the ideologies of the different types of denominations that people have in this world. You'd be surprised with it. What people think happens to a person when they die. How does a person get to heaven? You would be surprised. The Seventh-day Adventists believe that they are the 144,000 because they are the only ones keeping the Sabbath day. But let me say this. The Sabbath day, it was given to the Jews. It, it is a ceremonial law, and that ended at the end of the dispensation of the law. The, the, the thing about meeting on Saturday, listen, you can worship God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if you want to. But on the first day of the week is what the word says in this dispensation of grace is when we assemble ourselves together. I can assure you that the seventh day Adventists are not going to heaven just because they keep the Sabbath day, which was an Old Testament ceremonial law to the Jews. Muslims believe that if you just do good, if you just do good, you can go to heaven. That's, that's what they believe. The Buddhists believe that when a person dies, they're just reincarnated. They, they can live life in a rebirth cycle over and over again. The Mormons believe that when a person dies, that uh, they can, it depends on what they do in this life. If they were fair, they can go to the first heaven. If they did a little better than fair, they can go to the second heaven. If they do a little better than that, they can go to the third. They believe in three levels of heaven, and the only hell is what we experience right now. The Jehovah's Witness, and that's the point that I want to make right now, they believe that only 144,000 people are going to heaven. I've asked you to underline three times from the 12 tribes of Israel. I can tell you right now, Jehovah's Witness are not Jews. They're not from the 12 tribes of Israel. They have taken and built a denomination and a doctrine on a lie from the devil. The word clearly says this. Now look, I want you to see this. Uh, no number could count. 144,000 are certain select group of Jews. Now let me teach you a, a seminary Bible truth now. I, I realize time is going and, and this, this part I could probably leave out of the sermon, but I, I want to say it. There are various ways of standing at this pulpit and delivering a word. There's, there's expository preaching or teaching, and that's when you go verse by verse. And then there's what is called hermeneutics, and that's, that's what young preachers, uh, it's, a, it's teaching a young preacher a style of preaching. And then there is biblical hermeneutics, it's homiletics, hermeneutics. Homiletics is that style of preaching. Hermeneutics is when you teach something by, it, it, you, you look at it very carefully, and hermeneutics is when teaching that unless something is there by reason to look at in a passage, figuratively or symbolically, then it has to be taken literally. Literally. 
And that's what biblical hermeneutics helps preachers with. To understand if something is mentioned figuratively in the Bible, symbolically in the Bible, or literally in the Bible. For example, let me tell you what I'm talking about. When the Bible says something like this in Isaiah 55, 12, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth unto you into singing. And look at this. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now, does that literally mean that trees are going to be going like this? I don't have time to break that down this morning, but that's symbolically, that's figuratively. That's not literally. It's like this in Luke 17, verse 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say to the sycamore tree, be thou plucked up by the root and then be planted in the sea and it should obey you. Does that mean that you can speak to trees and say, get out of here and you just see all this stuff happening? That's not what that means. That's figuratively and symbolically. We know that those two illustrations are symbolically. Jesus was teaching an object lesson. I don't have to get into that. It's very obvious in the Bible when something is mentioned symbolically. We know how to do that. But here, in Revelation 7-4, the Bible is speaking literally. This is not symbolically. This is not figuratively. This is literally Revelation 7, 4, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So here's what happens, number seven, the two witnesses. In Revelation 11, I want you to read this. We're going to read it together in verses 3 through 12. And this is what happens from the preaching of the two witnesses. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Now, who are these two witnesses? In verse 6. These two, these have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues. This is a given here, as often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, we talked about that one Wednesday night, how did the how did the beast get in the pit to begin with? Shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified, right outside of the city walls. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. 
And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. It's the same come up hither as in Revelation chapter 4 as the rapture takes place. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And look at Revelation eleven six one one more time. And the dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. I want you to get this with me again. Who had these two witnesses? Who had the power to shut up heaven from rain? Quickly in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And one final one of him in Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter 4, and verse number 5, the word says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great dreadful day of the Lord. Now here's the thing. The day of the Lord is the revelation. And the word is saying that God is going to send Elijah before the great day. That's talking about he will be here doing this witnessing in the tribulation. Now look again, Revelation eleven six. Their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our also, our Lord was crucified. Now, let me ask the question, who was it in their earthly ministry that turned water into blood? In Exodus chapter 7, verse 17, Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite the rod, or smite with the rod that is in my hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. The word says that these two witnesses will do these things in the tribulation as they did in the days of their prophecy. And so from the ministry of these two witnesses, get this straight, 144,000 Jews are going to be saved and they're going to be sealed in their forehead with the seal of God. They will preach to millions who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel and they will be saved. Okay, as a result of that, because they have the seal of God in their forehead. There is a terrible price to be paid. They heard the ministry, the message of the two witnesses. 144,000 are sealed. They begin to preach. Millions are saved and sealed. And as a result of that, Revelation 24 says this, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's the millennium. So look at this. The mark. It's going to be clearly different than the mark of the beast. 
The mark of the beast is going to be 666. Those who reject the mark of the beast, reject the Antichrist, who are gloriously saved by the ministry of these two witnesses, the preaching of the 144,000, they're going to be sealed with God's mark. So here's the thing. It's going to be clear as day. People are going to be walking around either with God's clear. I don't know what that will be. But they are sealed with the mark of God, God's mark, whatever that will be. I don't know exactly what Cain's mark was in Genesis 4. I don't know exactly what this mark will be, but it's going to be in their foreheads, just like what the Antichrist is trying to emulate. There are going to be people walking around with 666 across their head or in their right hand, and then there are going to be people walking around with a mark that's clearly identifying to the world, we reject you. We reject the world system. We reject you as the Messiah. We reject you as God. We are not going to take your mark. We are not going to worship you. And as a result of that, God puts a seal in their forehead and they will be walking around. And as a result of not having the mark of the beast and having the mark of God, they will pay the ultimate price and they will, according to the word of God, be beheaded. I will tell you, that sounds barbaric, and it is. But beheading is not something that just took place in the ancient days of the Roman Empire. ISIS, if you remember, just a few years ago, was catastrophically beheading people every chance they had. Beheading is, is, is something that has come back into society. But it's going to be a way of life for the enemies of the Antichrist to persecute those who are believers and they are going to actually suffer great persecution just like John the Baptist was beheaded, just like the Apostle Paul was beheaded for the cause of Christ. These tribulation saints are going to be beheaded as well. People are going to be paying a terrible price for their faith in Christ. And in this now, Jesus was describing the tribulation. He said that the gospel is going to be preached all over the world and then the end would come. When Jesus came the first time, he came to his own people, the Jewish people, and they rejected him. And as a result of that, in John 1.11, the word says he came unto his own and his own received him not. But in the tribulation, they will be given another opportunity if they have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel, pre the preaching of the 144,000 will penetrate their hearts. It will be so strong. The message will be so clear that according to the word of God, the blinders will fall off of their eyes like scales. And in Zechariah chapter 13, verse number six, I hope these can get up there real quick. Thank you, fellas. And one shall say unto him, these are Jewish people talking to one another. What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. That's going to happen later on, but I will tell you this. The message will be so clear that they will understand quickly this man that drove them out of the temple, stopped the sacrifices, set his image up in the temple, demanded that he would be worshipped as God. They're going to know he is a lie. And the ministry of God will be so powerful, multitudes will be saved, like what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 9, 27. 
He said, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. He prayed in Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. And in Romans 11.26, our musicians come forward. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. The 144,000 has nothing to do with what these Jehovah's Witnesses are running around talking about. Listen, I'm telling you this. When they knock on your door, try to give you a watchtower. Here's what I want you to understand. Charles Taz Russell had nothing to do with grace. Joseph Smith had nothing to do with grace. Grace is in Christ and Christ alone. I'm so thankful today that I know him and the power of his resurrection. This is not an easy sermon. I realize that you got a nugget here and there. I, I get it. But I pray just enough penetrated this morning to clear something up for you to give you an answer. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.